0: Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shanks Show. Happy Thursday. Welcome to our program. I'm Bill Shanks. We appreciate you being with us here on this trade deadline Thursday. Yes, the NBA trade deadline has come and gone now. And the big news for the Atlanta Falcons, like, excuse me, the other other bird, the Atlanta Hawks, is they did nothing. The Hawks uh, did not trade DeJounte Murray. Adrian Wojnarowski tweeted just a little while ago that, in fact, the Hawks were not going to trade DeJounte Murray. And therefore, uh, from all indications, there is no trade for Atlanta to either move salary or to improve their team go figure that we would expect the atlanta hawks to try to improve their team well um that didn't happen either unfortunately the hawks lost last night to boston and when they play teams like they have this week the los angeles clippers and the boston celtics it's very clear to understand that they're not a very good team. They're 22 and 29. They are 17 games back of Boston. They are 2 games back in the ninth place Chicago Bulls. They are in the play-in tournament right now. Only a game and a half up on the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference and again 2 games back of the ninth place Chicago team. They're 5 back of Orlando. So Chicago, Atlanta, Brooklyn, and Toronto are the teams that are going to battle for those final two spots in the Eastern Conference of that stupid playing game. Which I mean, I I guess it's all right. I mean, I think it's just you dilute it. You know, you just you. The Hawks are twenty-two and twenty-nine. If the season ended right now, they're a playoff team. That's ridiculous. <laughs> they're they're not that good, and. I know people would say, well, look what Miami did last year. Okay, all right, fine. But I I just don't believe a team that is playing that poorly at this point should be looked at as a play-in team. Now, it does give a team like the Hawks hope that if they get hot at the right time, something could happen, but I don't really think that's going to, to be the case. Um they didn't have DeJounte Murray last night. He had some fake injury. They didn't play him because of the potential for a trade. I think that was pretty clear, even though they made up some deal for him to, to be out against Boston. And, you know, that that's kind of a shame because he could have helped that team last night against Boston. Boston's a, just a far superior team. It ain't even close. And, again, uh, I repeat, uh, these last two games against Boston and the and the Clippers, who were two teams that, for all we know, might even meet in the NBA Finals. I mean, it's just no comparison. The Hawks played hard both times, and they were closer than they probably should have been. But for the most part, when you looked at the lineups, you looked at the bench, you looked at everything around these teams, it's like this is kind of night and day. It's not even close. And that's kind of where the Hawks are. Um, I looked at some numbers today that are very troubling. I I guess if if we had our, every team in Georgia that was uh, pretty good, I would have nothing to complain about. So I guess the the two bird teams, the Falcons and the Hawks, and for that matter, the Thrashers. I'm just kidding. The um the 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 Hawks and the Falcons give us enough to complain about. But listen to these two stats here. Number one, Tony Wrestler bought the Atlanta Hawks in June of 2015. And in those seasons, those nine seasons, eight and a half seasons, whatever you want to say, the Hawks have a record of 311 wins and 371 losses, 60 games under 500. The more troubling stat, as far as a, a a record is concerned with this team is that since the Atlanta Hawks appeared in the Eastern Conference Finals in June of 2021 almost 3 years ago and it was an incredible run for that team it was it was a lot of fun you know we we truly had I did I think a lot of people did a great time in watching that team Battle Philadelphia, win that series, play Milwaukee, and play them tough. Of course, Trey Young got hurt in that in that uh, series, and it kind of killed Atlanta's chances, really. He stepped on someone's foot, and that was all she wrote. But nonetheless, um, that was the highest the Atlanta Hawks have gotten, and I think a lot of us, myself included, believe that after, after the Eastern Conference Finals appearance, there was only good things to come for the Atlanta Hawks. And instead, they have a overall record in the regular season since that Eastern Conference Finals of 106 wins and 109 losses, 106 and 109. So you have an ownership group led by Tony Ressler that has not been successful by 60 games. Now, they didn't have a rebuild in that time period. But I I think, again, the more important stat is that the Hawks got to the top as far as they've ever gotten before, and all of a sudden they've fallen off like a rock. How can you do that? How can you go and – have that much activity to improve the game. The team with the addition of Bogdan Bogdanovich and obviously the draft that you have with DeJounte Murray following Trey Young. Of course, you had Kevin Herter then. He's gone. You had Danilo Gallinari then. He's gone. You, you try to improve on that, and instead you go backwards. You make a huge trade that they did with San Antonio to – bring in an all-star caliber player in DeJounte Murray. And he's just not been what you expected him to be. So it's, it's terribly disappointing to sit here and see a team that has good talent, individual talent, but yet not have a good team. And I think that you could argue that with a record of 22 and 29, the Hawks aren't good. There's nothing good about that. And you can say, well, all right, Jalen Johnson missed time. He did. DeAndre Hunter missed time. He did. Trey's missed a handful of games. Murray's missed a handful of games. Capella's out now. Bogey's been healthy this year. But everybody deals with the injuries to a certain extent, and I don't think that's the reason why they are are seven games under 500. I mean, that, that is a, a telling stat. And even – The fact that since Ressler bought the team, they've not even had a 50-win season. And a lot of people since that Eastern Conference appearance, Eastern Conference Finals appearance, believed that they would get to a certain level where they could at least be a 50-win team. And so here they are. They're going to finish out the year with this roster. There is no trade. There is no trade to improve. There is no trade to pare money down. They're going to play with this roster. And what do we really have to look forward to? You know, the the sad part is they have played well in times where you're like, wow, this can be a pretty good team here. And then, of course, someone gets hurt or can't play, and then someone else has to step up, and it's not NBA caliber starting players who have to step up and and get significant minutes, and you – get harmed by that and you're just a mediocre team it, it, it's it's very frustrating it, it is because here's the deal Trey young uh is is a star you know he is like third in scoring with 27 points per game he is second in assist he's now going to be an all-star and what is this his sixth year and they can't win with him now, someone would say, "Well, you know, has Dallas won anything with, with, uh, with their player? Of course, that scored seventy-three on the Hawks the other day. Well, no. I mean, they they have not been able to to, to go to that extra extra mile and extra level there with Luka Doncic. There's no question about that. But um, I think Ricky's really upset that the Hawks did not do anything before the trade deadline." Uh, I got to tell you, can I stop? I got to tell you a story about Ricky. Come here, Ricky. I'm going to talk talk about you on the radio. I know you don't want to know what the heck I'm doing, but come here for just a minute. Can you come here for a minute? Can you come here, for Ricky? I, I've got to tell this story. we got to stop our NBA talk, which I know is just absolutely titillating everybody. So my mom's home. Okay, that's great news. She's home. She's feeling better. Got her home today. And last night I got home from the hospital. I was really tired. I hadn't eaten anything. I was really hungry, so I had some low carb bread. If you're listening, Seth, my trainer, I had some low carb bread and, and and a hot. I was going to make a hot dog, a couple hot dogs, right? So I had the had the wieners in the in the oven, cooking them that way and getting them all ready. And I took Ricky and Lucy out to to, to do a ten one hundred. Come back in, and then I took Tommy John out to do a 10-100, came back in. Well, I had already put the mustard and mayonnaise on my on my bun. Came back in after taking Tommy John to do a 10-100, and Richard Ricky, who again is on the very cusp of being placed in the transfer portal, had jumped up and grabbed one of the Two buns there for the hot dogs, and ate the bread. And I'm like, you know, I mean, and I called him a name. I've I got vulgar, and I, I, you know, I I verbally abused my dog last night because he stole my hot dog bun. So if anybody wants an 11-year-old beagle looks like Snoopy and acts like him, contact me. And I'll think about it. But he ate my damn – he is a bread – he eats bread. He steals bread off the sh- – all the time. And that one had mustard and mayonnaise in it. So, hello. But anyway. So, Ricky is now calmed down because I'm talking about him bad. But so, you know, I'm disappointed about the Hawks. I, I – I'm tired of being disappointed about my teams. And I, I am disappointed. There are a lot of trades made today. The Knicks went out and got Bojan Bogdanovic, not our bogey, but the other bogey, who's a 20-point per game scorer for Detroit. New York went out and got him and Alex Burks, Alec Burks, who's a nice little role player. And New York has got a pretty good team. They're really interesting. I mean, the Brunson kids really helped them a great deal, and you look at the standings, and you're like, well, I mean, New York could do something. You know, New York could actually do something in, in the playoffs, kind of like Atlanta did a couple of years ago. Uh, the standings right now in the Eastern Conference, Boston leads by five games over Cleveland, who's been red hot lately. But they haven't been able to really make up too much ground on Boston. Boston has the top seed. Then Cleveland, because of their 14-1 run. Milwaukee is third. Milwaukee made a couple of moves today. Uh, they got uh, Patrick Beverly, and um, that was a, 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 an interesting move for them. They got Patrick Beverly from Philadelphia and sent Cameron Payne back to the Sixers. Beverly, more of a defensive player, of course, guard. He was pretty good. The um, Knicks then are fourth, and again, the Knicks, Knicks got a, uh, a package from Detroit and had to give up Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier, a couple of second-round picks. So they improved their team. Philadelphia, I don't really see where the – well, the Philly Philly 76ers got Buddy Hield from Indiana. Boy, his his stock has really fallen off, although um, the Pacers did get Marcus Morris for, for Ken Coxmeyer and three second-round picks in that deal. But Betty Hill's a pretty good little shooter, and, and uh, it will be interesting to see how he helps Philadelphia. So you have that, and Philadelphia and, and Indiana are right there close to each other. Indiana is only two back of them, but Indiana is in sixth place, so they would have uh, be able to avoid the, the play-in tournament. Then you've got Miami. Miami is seventh right now. Orlando, that's really falling back, of course. They're only three games over 500. They had a hard start to their season and have kind of come back down to earth. Chicago, they did nothing. Orlando did nothing. Miami did nothing. The Hawks did nothing. The four teams currently in the play-in tournament did nothing today before the deadline. Then Brooklyn, then Toronto, Charlotte. Charlotte made a couple of trades. They traded Gordon Hayward to Oklahoma City. Of course, the Thunder... One of three teams tied with the lead in the Western Conference, with Minnesota and Denver. All three of those teams are 35 and 16 right now. Then the Clippers are a half game back. I mean, you got really good teams in the Western Conference. Western Conference is much better than the East. It's not even close. You got four teams that are within a half game of each other in the in the Western Conference. The Suns and Pelicans are five games back. Then the Kings at five-and-a-half back. We saw them. Obviously, they're very good. Dallas is seven games back. Dallas made a couple of moves today. Dallas got um, – um, uh, they got P.J. Washington from the Hornets, and they had a – a uh, 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 that's a big move. P.J. Washington is a good player. That's a really good player for them, and so they're – Kind of making a run for it. The Lakers did nothing, which has everybody shocked, and of course, ESPN's all over that. Utah did nothing. Golden State did nothing. I think Golden State is a much better team than their record of 23 and 25. Houston really did nothing. Um, and then you have Memphis, who of course has just fallen off terribly. Portland and San Antonio. So the Knicks are the team that really looks like the beneficiary of the trade deadline because they look like they have really improved themselves. That's a big move for Oklahoma City to get uh, Gordon Hayward as well. He's a, he's a good player. He's still older obviously. He's in his 30s now. Way in his 30s probably 33, 34. But he uh, is not what he once was, you know, with Utah or Boston. And uh, but he's still averaging 14 and a half a game, so he could help the the Thunder, I believe and Hornets got back Trey Mann, who's a young player. They, you know, There were a couple of other moves that were just really salary cap moves, so a lot of salary dumps to try to get people under under, the, um, under the, the luxury tax, but Atlanta did not do anything. There were rumors last night that Atlanta was talking to New Orleans about a trade, and the three players who were mentioned were DeJounte Murray, were uh, also Clint Capella, and even the Kongwu, Those are the three players who were rumored to be uh, being discussed by the Hawks with the New Orleans Pelicans, but nothing materialized. And uh, there were reports earlier today in the morning that, well, they're just not going to trade him. And then, of course, Woj came out right before three and said, that's right, they're not going to trade DeJounte Murray. And we'll see if they do something uh, at the summer when they start making some trades. You know, Quinn Snyder, the head coach, said he didn't want to trade DeJounte Murray. And he was pretty clear about that. And I think Quinn Snyder has a lot of pull on this team and on this roster. So that may have made the difference. That may have been the determining factor for Quinn Snyder to say, no, I don't want to trade DeJounte Murray. And, of course, Murray's value, there was no way the Hawks can get back what they gave up for him. They gave up three first-round picks. And, unfortunately, the, the fact that it hasn't worked out with, DeJounte Murray and Trey Young has made Murray's value very, very low because people think, well, you just got to get rid of him. And I'm glad at least the Hawks did not give him away. That's at least a good thing, but I'm really disappointed that they couldn't have do something to improve their team and you see others at least make the attempt. That's where you know this ownership has a problem. And Tony Rester is one of the richer owners in the NBA. He's worth like I think 12 billion dollars or something like that and yet he won't go over the luxury tax to make this bench even better which is a problem for this team when they match up against teams like Boston and the Clippers as they have this week. So the uh, the Hawks will be back in action tomorrow against Philadelphia. Of course the Sixers are not at full strength with them beat out but they are still a very good team and that's a, a good rivalry between these two teams but just more disappointment for the Hawks fans if they wanted any type of sign that the Hawks were going to try to get better for the uh, for the playoffs. Well, they didn't. Um, Dino on Twitter about the Hawks making it to the East Finals. Let's remember that the Knicks weren't very good and the Sixers had a hurt in beat and Ben Simmons was scared to shoot. It was fun at the time, but looking back, I think we should have known the Hawks weren't great. Trey, Trey. Well, I think they were a great team that year. I do think they were a great team that year, Dino, cuz again, you had Herder, you hadn't gotten rid of Herder. You you had Danilo Gallinari who's a very good role player for the Atlanta Hawks. And you know, they 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 played hard. They played well. They were healthy. They they had a good team. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. There there was some, you know, there was some issues with those other teams, but hell, Trey wasn't 100% through the whole playoff series, I believe. That was the problem as well. Um Ben on Twitter, do you really eat mayonnaise on your hot dogs? I would love a segment with Ricky and Tommy John. Ha, ha, ha. Let's get Mike from Cordell and Jeremy in Memphis on. That segment would be wild. Well, yeah, I do eat mayonnaise on my on my hot dogs. I even eat mayonnaise on, on my chili dogs, Ben, which I know is gross. But if I if I didn't like mayonnaise, I'd probably weigh about 195 But I do like mayonnaise, and that's been a problem. Because, I, I mean, hell, I used to eat wow. mayonnaise sandwiches when I was a kid. I mean, you kind of did that once in a while, didn't you? So anyway, um, but yeah, I, I, but I do like mustard on the hot dogs too. Uh, that, that's really good. I can think new way for that. All right, we're going to go outside and let uh, Ricky do a 10-100 during the break or whatever he may have to do. Maybe it's a 10-200, which would keep him out longer. We're going to take a break, come back, talk football. The Super Bowl is coming up and more on Kirk Street running his mouth. Maybe that's what Ricky is all upset about. It's something. You know what? It's a throw him under the bus Thursday, and Ricky obviously has someone he wants to throw under the bus. We need to do that today we haven't done that in a while. Those of you in Savannah and Brunswick don't really know about that because we haven't done it that much. But for 17 years on this show, and we'll celebrate our anniversary, believe it or not, next March, next month, forever, we have done Throw Them Under the Bus Thursday, where you can call in and throw someone in the sports world under the bus. Someone like, I don't know, Rich McKay uh, or, you know, Jim Layritz for hitting that home run against Mark Wohlers in 1996. Somebody like that. So we may do that a little bit later on and have fun with it. Or Ben may want to call up and throw me under the bus for having mayonnaise on my hot dog. Maybe that's what is inspiring him to do that today. But anyway, we can do that later on. As well, and we're getting ready for the Super Bowl. we got to talk about the Super Bowl because it is now three days away, and I'm trying to get excited about it because it's a lot more fun when you can get excited about it. And I really want for Kansas City to win as long as Taylor Swift will not be tracked from her airplane ride from Japan to Las Vegas. That will make me probably turn on the Puppy Bowl. Thanks very much for being with us here with Ricky, who's going to go 10-100. I'm Bill Shanks, who doesn't. You're listening to The Bill Shank Show. Now, back to The Bill Shank Show on the Superstations. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us here on this Thursday. The SEC just sent out a release. Listen to this. The distribution to the 14 universities for the 2022-2023 fiscal year will be $741 million. 718 million will be distributed from the conference office, and an additional 23 million re- retained by universities that participated in football bowl games. The amount distributed from the conference o- office excluding bowl expenses retained by participants Averages $51.3 million per school. SEC is flooding in money. $51.3 million simply for being an SEC team. That is unbelievable. I don't have in front of me the numbers of the last few years, but. Um, there's no question it's been substantial. The distribution amounts does not include an additional $8.1 million of NCAA and SEC grants divided among the 14 member universities. The total revenue is an increase above what they had last year. The average per school distribution increased from $49.9 million, so it's a couple of million up from the previous year. And that is a tremendous amount of money, of course. Then you count how much they get for the other deals they have, the local radio deals. You know, Georgia, for example, has uh, a ton of revenue coming in from their radio network, both from stations like ours and from advertisers. And television, uh, the con- contract they have with Channel Five in Atlanta, WAGA, the different types of advertising they have inside the stadium, the unbelievable amount of of money they make from attendance. Uh, I mean, the the budget for these programs are are, are just unbelievable. And, and look, I mean that that's not a surprise. It, it's a it's a popular entity right it is and i'm not look i'm not going to i'm not going to criticize the fact that these teams make money they are a very popular brand and when you are a very popular brand you make a lot of money especially on a grand scale like that and and to have the winners they have so I, i i think that was not a surprise just still a lot of money you know and and then you wonder about, all right, well, how much of the players should get that $51.3 million? And I don't know the answer to that. All I know is that there, there is a an interesting dynamic going on with universities who have collectives that are trying to get fans to spend money on the collective and to help basically fund their rosters That's what you're doing, right? You're funding your roster. And also to give money to the University Athletic Association that helps fund the athletic department. Because a lot of people get, I mean, Missouri. I can't remember. Missouri got, someone donated, someone died and left Missouri 50-something million dollars the other day. And I can't remember if it went to their collective or to their athletic association per se. It was a lot of money. Well, I mean, and, and you know, they. I'm sure university programs are gifted millions of dollars every year. A lot of these people who are very wealthy will go and they'll leave X amount to their family and they'll say, well, I'm going to give a portion of my fortune to Georgia football. And, that, and you know, they ain't taking it with them. So I think that happens a lot, more than we think. And so it's unbelievable amounts of money. There's no question about that. And a large portion of that $51 million is obviously from television, and the amount of interest that the SEC has with television, and it's no real big surprise. Uh, of course, they're getting ready to have even more money with the, with the um, new deal with ESPN, that's for sure. Uh, more college football news now. The College Football Playoff Selection Committee has had some changes today. Michigan's athletic director, Ward Manuel, is going to be the selection committee chair for 2024. According to Bill Hancock, the executive director of the college football playoff, he will replace, Manuel will replace Boo Corrigan, the athletics director at NC State, who served as the chair for the last two seasons. Also, several new members of the college football playoff committee, including Gary Pinkle, the longtime head coach of the University of Toledo and Missouri. The A.D. at Baylor, Mac Rhodes. Carla Williams, the A.D. at Virginia, who used to be at UGA. Hunter Juracek, the A.D. at Arkansas. And Patrick Chun, the A.D. at Washington State. The new members will begin three-year terms. They will replace Mitch Barnhart, who is with Kentucky. Corrigan, who is with NC State, is the A.D. Mark Harlan, Gene Taylor, Joe Taylor and Rod West the um, other committee members are still there including Jim Grove the longtime coach at Wake Forest and Baylor the AD at the Naval Academy the AD at uh, well he's still there let's see AD at Miami University of Ohio um, and Kelly Whiteside who is a former sports writer who is on there for some dumb reason But anyway, that's the college football playoff, and they have made a few changes. Boo Corrigan no longer there. I I, I guess they rotate to a certain extent, but Boo Corrigan had a lot of criticism, probably wanted to get out of there. And he deserved some of the criticism, I think. Of course, the, the secondary story that wasn't discussed enough, in my opinion, was the fact that Georgia went from one to six after losing to Alabama by three points. I mean, it's like, you got to be kidding me. But anyway, I mean, I'm a Georgia fan. I'm going to say that, right? You can't help that. But it was suspicious and not talked about enough because of what was going on with Florida State, because of the the relevant discussion about leaving out an undefeated team because their quarterback was hurt. And that's what they did. We won't have to worry about that anymore. This selection committee will obviously have – uh, a large responsibility but instead of picking only four teams they'll pick 12 and it's going to be really interesting moving forward to see how better it will be to have that kind of of task in front of them compared to well you only got to pick four is it going to be easier or is it going to be more difficult i hope it's more, a little bit easier but we'll see also today the Rivals.com, named Trey Scott as the Rivals Recruiter of the Year. Trey Scott, the defensive line coach for the Bulldogs. And there is no question that he has gained a reputation as one of the best recruiters in the sport. Georgia is just blessed with a tremendous amount of talent on that coaching staff, both in trying to develop talent and to try to get players to come into the to the program and i mean lord they have just loaded that roster with unbelievable recruiters brian mcclennan of course joined last year great recruiter del mcgee running back coach for a long time at georgia outstanding recruiter todd hartley tied in one of the best recruiters probably in the nation i think mike bobo has always been a great recruiter Traveris Robinson, of course, comes from Alabama with a tremendous reputation of being an outstanding recruiter, particularly for defensive backs. You know, Glenn Schumann has done great. Dante Williams coming from USC to be the defensive backs coach, also with a, a, a very good reputation. It, Kirby Smart has just loaded his coaching staff with a tremendous group of recruiters, and, of course, he's the best one of them all. No doubt that Kirby Smart, and and I've said this until I'm blue in the face, and I I think it's the most important part of the entire program, the fact that the head coach, the offensive coordinator, and a defensive analyst who used to be the co-defensive coordinator, Will Muschamp, and also Brian McClendon, the wide receivers coach, can go into a recruit's home and say, okay, let me tell you about the University of Georgia. That's my alma mater. It's the most impressive and important part of a recruiting pitch you'll ever hear in your life. That's why Steve Spurrier, I think, had tremendous success at Florida. Hell, before Steve Spurrier was a hero coach, he was a hero player at the University of Florida. They loved Steve Spurrier before he even stepped foot on that sideline with that visor. He was tremendous as a quarterback for the Gators. And – then he, when he became the coach, it's like, well, yeah, of course he's going to recruit pretty well. He's a Gator, and so I, I, I just have always thought that when the phrase I've always used, the gang got back together with Kirby and Mike Bobo and Will Muschamp, and of course Brian McClendon. You can't leave him out because he's a, a Georgia guy too. It's, it's a hard team to beat on the recruiting trail. Now you can have more money and just throw more money at people, but as far as if all things are equal and, and you're going to have someone who's really going to listen of where he needs to be and why he needs to be there that doesn't include cash, it's hard to beat Kirby Smart and what he has to say about his program right now not only because of what he's done in eight years, but because of what he believes about that that program. I mean, Kirby, for 30 years, has been a Bulldog. This is the 30th anniversary of when Kirby Smart signed with Georgia out of high school. And so that that's three decades. Even though he was coaching at Alabama, even though he was coaching in the NFL for a little while with Nick, he's always been a Bulldog. And that ability to turn around and say that, is incredible, but when you have Trey Scott and Dell McGee and Todd Hartley and others, it's just it's it's got to be the best staff in the country when it comes to recruiting and coaching. It's unbelievable. It's just really really good. We're going to take a break. Come back more on Kirk Herbstreit and his decision to advise or make a recommendation to Dylan Rayola. That and could baseball be closer to a different TV deal that could help all of us? We'll talk about those two topics and more as we continue on this Thursday afternoon right after this. Now, back to the Bill Shank Show on the Superstations. Welcome back to our program. Thanks very much for joining us here 17 minutes before the top of the hour. So you you may have heard the story yesterday about Kirk Street. The wonder boy for ESPN and game day. Who's good? I mean, I I can't deny that he's good on the air. He does a good job of analyzing the game. You know, he's paid for his opinions. He's paid to tell what he thinks is good, bad, ugly, right, and wrong on the college football spectrum. But a report came out after... Dylan Rayola, quarterback who had been committed to UGA for a long time and then who decided to switch at the very last minute and go to Nebraska, his dad's alma mater. It came out yesterday that Dominic Rayola admitted that when the rumors started about Dylan Rayola switching to Nebraska, he got a phone call from Kirk Herbstreit who encouraged that to happen who thought yes that's that that would be good you should go to nebraska you should go and help matt rule the head coach i don't think there was anything negative said per se about the university of georgia and the bulldog football program but obviously by him saying well, i think you should go to nebraska or that would be great or whatever the exact words were <laughs> He was, made it known that he thought he should not go to UGA and instead go to, go to Nebraska. So, uh, again, every fan base is going to believe that someone on the air has it out for your program. It, you know, it's always the way it is. And, and maybe it's true. And uh, I brought up yesterday the, the Mark May situation. I mean, Mark May has always been a lightning bolt for Georgia fans because when he was on the air on ESPN on the late show on Saturday night, it, it just seemed like, man, he just, he'll, he'll leave Georgia out. There'll be four undefeated teams in late November, and he'd leave the dogs out like he didn't even think they existed. So there's always someone that you think, well, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And why are you saying that? And look, you know, I can only assume, which is always very dangerous, but I can always assume, only assume that if Kirby Smart read that article, he wouldn't have been too happy. Now, I know you've got to shake things off and not get too deep in it and, not let too much bother you because recruiting's dirty, man. It's 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 a dirty business. It's there's nothing clean, there's nothing pretty, there's nothing simple about recruiting because crap is done all the time that makes you raise an eyebrow, like well, really, huh? And things are said all the time about programs that a lot of it's BS, but it's like huh, really? So nothing probably is going to surprise. Kirby's smart, but if I was him, I wouldn't be too happy. Now, I don't know if he's going to pick up the phone and call Kirk Herbstreit and like, dude, what the hell did you do? Why did you do that? And what's Kirk Herbstreit going to say? Well, I was just sharing my opinion with him. I thought it would be great for him to go to Nebraska. Nebraska needs someone to help them with their program. You don't. Now, I, 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 if if that conversation happened, that's probably what Herbstreit would say. What else is he going to say? Well, I don't like you, and I don't like Georgia, and Screw all of you, and I wanted him to go to Nebraska so it hurt the Bulldogs. Well, no. I don't think he's going to say it out loud. He may think that in private, but I don't know if I buy that either. I don't think that's that fair to say that he picked up the phone. I think it was more about helping Nebraska and believing that if Dominic Raiola's son went to Dominic Raiola's alma mater, that would be a great story. Okay, good. But it did so at the detriment of Georgia, who obviously wanted him and hoped he would be on their program for, you know, a couple of years. So now people are going of getting on Herb Street and saying, oh, you know, what the hell? Really? Why would you do that? And it just seemed to cross a line, an invisible line because it's not like it's an official, well, should he have shouldn't he have done that? Well, or that that it was a broken law. Well, no, he didn't break a law. But it's like still one of those eyebrow raisers of well, should you have really called him and said that? Is that appropriate? And he may say, you know what, I can share any opinion I want to. It's my life, and if I thought that was good for Nebraska football and good for Dylan Rayola to go to his dad's alma mater, I don't give a damn what you think. Now, if you know if I'm him and that's the way I felt, then I would come out and say that if he's ever asked about it. But it's still something that others, besides just people who wear red and black, are kind of raising their eyebrows out and saying, is that appropriate? Dan Walkin, who's a little weird himself sometimes out there in the reporting Twitter world, he said that it was totally inappropriate. And others have said this is something that he should not have done at the least. So, you know, again, did it matter? Did it, was it a determining factor in Dylan Rayola? Going to Nebraska, I don't think so. But it did it help? No. And you can't be surprised that Georgia fans are kind of standing up straight and saying, well, why, why would you have to involve yourself in that? That wasn't necessary. So, you know, it, it's um, interesting because he is a big part of college football. And, you know, there, there, there was talk that when Will Muschamp made his little comment about how Georgia whipped – Ohio State's butt on January the 1st, 1993, in the Citrus Bowl with Kirk Herbstreit as the quarterback. And Will Muschamp made a comment about how bad Herbstreit was as a quarterback. They didn't, what was it, he didn't cause them to miss any sleep or something like that, that Herbstreit got all bent out of shape about that. And I'm not kidding when I ask the question, why would his dog be allowed everywhere on a plane, and in stadiums. I mean, should I allow, or no, not should I allow, should I show up next September at the first game of the season in Athens with Ricky and Lucy by my side? Is it bring your dog to work day? Why does Kirk Herbstreet, why is he allowed to bring his dog inside a stadium? It's not a service dog. He doesn't have a disability. He doesn't have a condition that requires him to have a service dog. And God bless service dogs. Service dogs are wonderful. And people who need that kind of help, that's unbelievable. I, I, I really admire that and, and love that. But why does Kirk Herbstreit take his dog on a plane and send pictures on Twitter of, uh, well, I can't remember his name. Huh? I, I, that's that's a little too much for me because I tell you, Ricky and Lucy would probably be really good in the new Georgia press box. They would probably really behave. You know, they like people. They and as long as there was no Auburn reporter around, because they do have an affinity to go after Auburn fans. I have been able to tell that when people have been close to them, they do not. They they really they can smell them. They spell Auburn. I mean Ricky and Lucy are hound dogs, so they can they can spell Auburn fans, so as long as you're not an Auburn fan, you're you're okay around Ricky and Lucy. But can I bring Ricky and Lucy to the I mean that maybe they need to go down on the field and have their picture made with Ugga? Was Herb Street allowed to do that? I don't get that. Anyway, all right, I want to mention this because this happened a little before the start of the show. Rob Manfred is the Commissioner of Baseball, and, of course, we're not big Rob Manfred fans in this state. He's, um, well, we're not big Rob Manfred fans in this state because he took the All-Star game away from Atlanta. He said something interesting today at the owners' meetings in Orlando, and that is that in 2025 he would like to have a direct-to-consumer streaming package that would include half of the teams in Major League Baseball. Of course, part of that is dependent on Diamond Sports Group and their bankruptcy, which, of course, includes Bally Sports, and that is the team that – that is the group, rather, that has the Braves telecast on. And Manfred said, realistically, my target to having a digital package I can take to market would be for the 25 season. And this is very significant though because there is so many issues with fans and their inability to watch games inside a team's market. And you know the 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 blackout stuff is really causing issues. He's referring to a package that would give fans a way to watch teams games in market through MLB TV. Fans can already watch a given team if they live outside a team's territory. So if you're a Braves fan in Cleveland and you want to watch the Braves, you can have the MLB TV package and watch all that. But if you're in Georgia and you want to watch the Braves and you can't do that because of the blackout rule with Valley Sports. And so uh, this article says how exactly a package would be available through the likes of an Apple or Peacock or Amazon or through the league itself like MLB.TV is today is not known, but for such a package to be viable in any form, Manfred believes it needs to have access to close of half of the league's digital rights. Um, so that that's going to be really interesting to watch. the The blackout situation for Major League Baseball is a big problem, and MLB has already had to take over three of the teams: the Diamondbacks, Padres, and Rockies, as far as their broadcast rights. Their digital rights, however, will be available for 2025. The Guardians, Rangers, and Twins are not under contract for 2025, so that makes six potential teams right away. Four teams that are under the contract for Diamond for 2025 did not grant Diamond their digital rights, including the Braves, Angels, Cardinals, and Reds. Those teams might be able to join the package as well. So a lot of it does depend, however, on the MLB situation with Diamond Sports and whether they can... Get that done, but it's that's going to be really something to watch. And of course, it's been a very significant week for the potential of the future of streaming rights in sports, with what happened with uh, Warner Brothers Discovery and Disney coming together uh, and Fox Sports, of course, for a potential new app that will show all of the all of the games. So uh, this with baseball is something we need to watch as well, because fans have been really upset for a long while about the blackout rules in Major League Baseball. We just want to watch the games, but if you can't, guess where you can listen to the Braves? Right here on the Superstations, and it's coming up soon. You're listening to The Bill Shank Show.